Good morning, Maple Grove. Welcome to the church. Welcome to, welcome to us, right? We are the church. Welcome to us. Now, I want to start off this morning with some God-breathed words from the pen of Matthew, the ex-tax collector. Matthew writes, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, guys, it's time to talk about my identity. It's time to talk about who I am. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I think Jesus like, yeah, I know there's a lot of opinions out there about me. Then he, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, uh, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I, I say to you that, that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, uh, upon the rock of my identity as a Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And then he sternly warned his disciples, don't tell anybody yet that I'm the Messiah. We need to keep my identity kind of secret right now. And when it's time to go public, don't worry, you're going to know. And now that you know who I am, I I, I want to tell you why I'm here and and what I'm I'm about. And guys, I think you need to brace yourself because I'm not here to do what you think I came here to do. You're wanting a conquering king that's going to overthrow Rome. Well, guess what? You're going to get a suffering servant that's going to save you from your sins. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. That's not what I want you to do. <laughs> That's not my plan for you, Jesus. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And that is a dangerous trap, isn't it? Not just in regards to Jesus' identity, but in the life, right? You're seeing your hard time, right? You're seeing your difficulty from a human point of view. That can, that's a trap, right? Rather than from God's point of view. And then he goes, oh, oh, yeah, before I let you guys go, I need to tell you something about your identity now that you chose to follow me. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Those who want to save their life, those who don't want to do that, will give up true life. And those who give up their lives for me will have true life. Father God, we humbly come into your presence. God, bless the reading of your word. God, I pray your word comes alive in this place today. I thank you that your word is not dead, but alive, not inactive, but moving, not dull, but sharper than a double-edged sword. I thank you that your word produces and accomplishes all that you want to see happen. I pray that your word finds open hearts today. Open our hearts to you, in Jesus' name, amen. And I got to tell you, I, I'm pretty, 
I'm pretty pumped up this morning. You see, this is a huge day in the, in the life of, of Maple Grove. You see, we begin a, a new seven-week series called Identity, the, the Grove Who We Are. And if you're kind of new to Maple Grove, you couldn't pick a better time to be here, right? You can find out what we're about, and you may say, hey, I like it, or hey, I'm going somewhere else, right? But hey, at least you're going to know, right? We're going to, hey, here's who we are. Uh, now, most of you know that back in November, just eight weeks back, the staff, elders, and leadership um, met with Gary Johnson. He's a pastor. He's an author. He's a leadership coach. He's from Indiana, Indi- um, Indian Creek uh, Church in, in Indianapolis. And uh, we spent Friday night with Gary and all day Saturday and, and for the sole purpose of renewing, refining, revising, and refreshing our vision, mission, and values. It, it was an unbelievable two days. I mean, there was no doubt in the minds of anybody in that room that God's Spirit was moving and hovering over us. You could feel it, thanks in large part to so many of you guys, right? I mean, some of you guys were wearing out the carpet, right? Praying before this meeting, praying during this meeting. Well, the day we begin rolling out the end results of that weekend as we unveil um, the Grove's new vision statement. But before we go there, uh, let me briefly explain the process we went through back in November. Again, eight weeks back, we, meet down, we met down in the Student Movement Center. And on Friday night, after having an awesome dinner, right, uh, my wife makes incredible stuffed shells, right? And I grabbed some of that Cheesecake Factory cheesecake from Sam's, you know what I'm talking about? It's got that chocolate, it's some good stuff, right? She makes spaghetti meatballs. But you can stuff them suckers in shells and they're real good. <laughs> and after the awesome meal, uh, Gary talked about, he talked about the mission of Jesus, what it was, and you know, how Jesus really protected it. You know, so that it happened at the exact place and exact time God wanted to in Jerusalem during the Passover. And then on Saturday, Gary led us through a series of of questions that both became the fuel and the foundation for our our developing our vision, mission, and core values. And first he asked us, he says, name three churches that you admire and one parachurch organization you admire. Who do you admire and why? And the three churches that we came up with was Southeast Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, great church, Um, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Andy Stanley's Church, and then McLean Bible Church um, up in uh, near D.C. And then the power church was advancing Native missions. And that's what you have on the board. And, 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 you know, I have the actual sheets that, Gary has really nice handwriting, you know, but I have the actual sheets on the wall that we listed things. So, okay, what do you admire about these things? We wrote them down, wrote them down, wrote them down. And he says, okay, now y'all come up, we'll take some time, and you're going you're gonna to mark your top three, and each person marked their top three. And for Southeast Christian Church, you know, the top three that we had for them was, you know, we said, number one, that they're solid New Testament doctrine. Number two, they're a voice in their community. Number three, effective communication, willing to adapt without changing the message. For North Point, um, humble, confident leadership. And number two was, their, you know, we admired their priority on discipleship. Number three, we admired their excellent teaching. And, and then for McLean Bible Church, you know, um, number one, we said, hey, we admire their mission focus. Number two, their willingness to take crazy risks. Uh, number two, that individuals were living out their faith. And then for advancing Native missions, one of the missions we support, we said we, we really admire the fact that, 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 that they pray. <laughs> we 
totally admire their passion to reach the unreached, and we, we, we admire their, their leadership, you know, their, their humble, wise leadership and their effective methods and strategy. And then Gary asked us the next question was, what do you want to be as a church? And we all gave answers, and Gary wrote them down, and okay, come on up, and everybody mark your, mark your top three, and, and the top three was number one, what do you want to be? We want to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Number two, we want to be biblically literate. Number three, we want to be influential in our community. Number four, we want to be intergenerationally connected. There was a tie between those two. And, and what that means is we don't want to be a church that, well, we got our young people down here and old people up here. We like never mix. And our, our students are doing a great job at that. You know, our, our students help out with the opals, you know, uh, setting up for their, their, their monthly meals that they do. Um, uh, the students and our Opals, our senior citizen group, they actually did a, a, a mission fundraiser together where they packed up 10,000 meals to send off um, to Stop Hunger Now. And, and so we want to be that kind of church. And he says, well, what do you want to do? Again, we listed a bunch of stuff. Top three were, what do you want to do as a church? We want to bring people to Christ. We want to serve others. We want our prayer and worship to be glorifying to God. They said, okay, now what do you want to have? What do you want to have as a church? And again, uh, we listed everything, came up, we all marked off our top three, and we said, here's what we want to have. And you're going to see a, maybe a pattern developing, and, and we want to have maturing Christians. We want to have, uh, number two, spiritually reproducing. We want to have a broader influence. Number three, we want to have humble, confident leaders. And then the next question, I really like this one. And, 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 and by the way, as you and I think about our life, this would be good questions for us as we're thinking about our life, right? You know, who do you admire? and life, and why, you know? And, and what do you want to do? What do you want to have? And here's a question here. What do you want others to say about us? And, and, and this was really good. Like things like, um, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do we want our next door neighbors to say about us? Well, we said that we, we want them to say that Maple Grove loves us, that Maple Grove made a difference for us. Um, what, what do you want the unreached skeptics to say? We want them to say that Maple Grove loves us, that Maple Grove was willing to listen to our questions. And you know, what do we want the schools in our community to say about Maple Grove? Wow. Wow. I, Maple Grove students, give me more. I, I want more of them suckers in my class. They're, they're, they're the best people you could ever have in your class. All right? And, and then the final question was, what do we want Jesus to say about us? And this is really you know, a, a, a powerful question. I don't know if we had the picture. We got the picture. There you go. You know, you did what I asked of you. You forgave others. I like the one near the bottom. I told you it was worth it. <laughs> I told you it was worth it. I'm waiting to hear that one. I think it's going to be good. And, and, and so it, it, all those questions became like this giant funnel, and, and they are what we use to develop our vision statement, our mission statement, and our five core values. Like I said, we're going we're gonna to roll out the vision statement this week. Next week, our mission statement. And then beginning on January 26th, each week, one quarter value at a time, taking us through the end of February. And here's what I want you to know, that these vision, mission, and value statements, they're going to be, I don't care about past anywhere, right? They're, they're, they're going to be more than words on a piece of paper. They're not going to be like, well, hey, does your church have... Mission, value, and, and, and vision. Oh, yeah, did you see the back of our program? Oh, it's on the back of my T-shirt. <laughs> no. 
These are going to become the eternal, the internal operating system of all that we do. They will determine what we do, where we go, and who we become. They are what's going to drive us and guide us forward for him and for his glory. Get it? Good. Yeah, you're getting pumped up too. Uh, hey, let, let's pray. And palms open so God can speak to us. It's always good to pray. Uh, God, you're pumped. Whenever your people begin to think about what it means to be your people and what it means to follow you and have a desire to do those things, you get really excited. Jesus, this is your church, not our church. If any way we had thought it was ours, we want to give it back to you today. You're the head, I'm not the head. The elders aren't the head. And those sitting out there, they're not the head of the church. You're the head of the church. It's your bride, not ours. And you'll build it, not us. And God, I pray that today a movement starts, a movement of your Holy Spirit. You did it once, Holy Spirit. I know you want to do it again. I pray that you do it here and we allow you to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this weekend, uh, football players from eight teams, four yesterday and four later today, have or will, in just a few hours, put on their pads and uniforms, walk into a packed stadium before millions of people to not only play a football game, but to fulfill a dream. A dream to play in, win the Super Bowl and to hold up the Lombardi Trophy. If you don't know what that looks like, I have a picture of someone there, right there. Yeah, that's what it looks <laughs> I'm so taken advantage I get to do this, right? <laughs> All right. Two more wins, and that'll be us. All right. <laughs> that's what it looks like. And... and and this dream to one day hold that trophy, understand, you know, for all these guys playing this weekend, that dream wasn't born at the beginning of the season or, or the beginning of the training camp. It was probably born when those were just little kids walking on and putting a uniform on for the first time. Hey, and, and it's the fact that they dream this, that that's why they're actually there this weekend playing on those fields. Never underestimate the power of a dream, the, the power of a vision. For example, in 1774, a leader named John Adams boldly declared the vision of a new nation, a union of 13 states independent from Parliament and the King of England. And against great odds, his words became true. Within two years of his prophetic proclamation, the United States of America was born. In 1789, William Wilberforce stood before British Parliament and cried out for the day when men, women, and children would not be bought and sold like farm animals. Each year for the next 18 years, his bill was defeated, but he continued his tireless campaign against slavery. Finally, in 1833, four days before he died, Parliament passed a bill completely abolishing slavery. In the late 1800s, two brothers, Wilbur and Orville Wright, announced that the day of the flying machine was, had arrived. Ten years of disappointing experiments followed. But on December 7th, 1903, the Wright brothers made history when their small biplane lifted off the sandy beach in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and the age of air travel was born. In the early 20th century, a dynamic industrialist by the name of Henry Ford stood in front of a, his, his ragtag band of employees and vowed to make automobile transportation affordable to every American, and the nation laughed. 
But barely 15 years later, millions of Ford Model Ts had been built and sold at a cost of $290. I bet if you had one of those, I think it'd be worth a little bit more. In South Africa, the 1960s, Nelson Mandela, that's a younger picture of him. There's one you maybe recognize more. Dreamed of the day when the apartheid that oppressed the black people of South Africa for so long would end. And, and, and one day, he, he stood before those who opposed him. They said, you know what, Nelson, you better knock it off or it could cost you your life. Mandela's reply, ending apartheid is a cause for which I will gladly invest every day for the rest of my life and a purpose for which I am fully prepared to die. And in 1994, after 30 years in prison, not only did apartheid end, but he became the president of South Africa. And who can forget 1963 and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., and, and, and painting a picture of a world without prejudice and racism. He said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And although his life was cut short by an assassin, his dream lives on, and 50 years later, his vision continues to break down racial barriers. Now, now what did all, now, now what, what, what did all these men have in common? They all had a dream. They all had a compelling vision that, 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 that gripped them and moved them forward. Now, I've always appreciated the definition that Bill Hybels, a, a great church leader, up in Chicago, uh, that, that he gave of uh, vision. He says, vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. For Henry Ford, it, it was a picture of a future where a Model T was parked in the driveway of every butcher baker and candlestick maker. For John Adams, it was a picture of a, of a future where America was a free and independent country, a nation under God. Uh, for Dr. King, it, it was a picture of a day when when two children, one black, one white, would sit across each other on a seesaw and be totally oblivious to the color of each other's skin. For the 429 players who will step between the chalk lines this weekend, it was a picture of a future where they'll win the Super Bowl, where they'll hold up the Lombardi Trophy, where they'll sing, we are the champions, my friend, right? And, and well, they'll pack their bags to go to Disney World, right? We, okay. Maple Grove today, I, I want to talk to you about a dream, a picture of vision, not, not, not about Model T's, airplanes, or Lombardi Trophy, but a vision about the church, the body and bride of Christ, the hope of the world. And now church has always been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. As a, 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 as a child, it was a place my mom woke me up to go to on Sunday mornings. It was a place where every now and then I would put on a robe and walk up front and light a few candles, and that was it. As a teenager, church was a place where my mom finally gave up trying to wake me up because I wasn't going to go. And, and, and church was a place that was totally irrelevant to me. It was full of a bunch of strange people who were against everything, especially against me. As a young adult, church was a place where I, I began to meet and learn about Jesus. It was a place where I, I surrendered to him and was baptized. It, it was a place where I met some really cool people who actually cared about you. It was a place where I did a little service here and there. It was a place where God said, hey, you know what? You need to leave your career in the Navy and and go to a Bible college in Florida. And as a pastor for the last 22 years, church has it's been a place where a, a dream was born and took root. A dream for the church 
to really and fully be that Sydney Hill, a dream for the church to really and fully be the light and hope that this broken and dark world so desperately needs. And listen, I, I can tell you this, this morning, January the 12th, 2014, that after 22 years of twists and turns, victories and struggles, joys and sorrows, the vision of the church being everything that God wants her to be is still beating in my chest. It refuses to die. And the dream, you know when it was born in me? When I began to look at the book of Acts. What an amazing, inspiring story. From 11 scared men behind locked doors, they formed a community of believers that turned the world upside down. I mean, they literally brought down the Roman Empire without raising a shield or lifting a sword. This church, these people, they they were radically devoted to God. Whatever God told them to do, they did. Whatever God told them to stop doing, they stopped doing. Wherever God told them to go, they went. And when the government told them, you best stop talking about Jesus or you're going to die, they chose death by the thousands. This, this church, these people, they, they loved each other in radical kinds of ways. They, they took off their masks and shared lives together. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in an authentic Christian community. Those who had more shared with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers melted away. People related to one another in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community, uh, that this community of believers, that they, they gave the world around them a, a vision of life that was so beautiful it took their breath away. I mean, it was so bold, so creative, so courageous, so dynamic, so compassionate, so authentic, so real that the world just couldn't resist. And Acts 2.47 says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Imagine being part of a church like that. I'd rather clean toilets in a church like that than live in the houses of the rich and famous. A movement was born. A movement was born. You know, and I'm wearing my movement shirt. Yeah, it does have something to do with that. I forgot to take my dry cleaning. And, you know, but, but I'm talking about the church, and the church is a movement. These are the Shirts for our student movement, and it's a movement, right? It's not stationary, it's going. And I have some gifts. This is, I've never done this before. I have some t shirts to give out here movement t shirts that I'm gonna throw out to the audience, all right? <laughs> you know, these are gifts for you. For those of you who want one and can't get one, you know, you can buy one out there, you know, and it'll help support the, you know, the youth ministry. But I really like this shirt, so here we go. Oh, <laughs> sorry. That's, I call it my Brady arm. <laughs> Where'd it go? Where'd the other one go? <laughs> and here, here, you know, 
hey, when you wear these, people say, what's the movement? It's the church, right? And here, this is a hoodie. Okay, who wants a hoodie? Wow. <laughs> 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 oh, no, a fight broke out. We got a riot. Hey, hey Alan, we got a riot. <laughs> All right. The movement of the church. Imagine being a part of something like that. So Maple Grove, here it is, our vision statement. Following Christ in life-changing community. Circle the word life-changing. I understand that the gospel, it's all about change. In fact, God saved us in order to change us. Change what? Uh, for one thing, to change our relationship with him. From lost to found, from wrath to grace, from alienated to adopted. God saved us to change who we are. He saved us to change who we can become. He changed us to change where we'll spend forever. He changed us to change the way that you and I both see and engage this world that he so loves. God saved me to change me. Jesus said it this way to a, a Pharisee who showed up one time late at night. He, he said this, that, that I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. you got to be born again. you got to be born from above. You can't be the way you are if you want to understand this thing. And, and, and throughout his entire ministry, right from the very beginning, Jesus let people know this is about change. And, and Luke, um, excuse me, and, and Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had just left the wilderness of being tempted. And here's what we read. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying what? Change your hearts and lives. Now, some of your versions may say repent, but that's re what repentance is. So I, I like seeing the word change up there. Change your hearts and lives because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then in Luke 5, he said it this way. I, I've not come to invite good people, but sinners to what? To change their hearts and lives. And, and one day Jesus stood in a room with a bunch of older people, uh, like some of you, not me. And, 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 and he, said, he said this, unless you... Yeah, I'll tell you the truth, you must change and become like what? Little children. Otherwise, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the heartbeat of the gospel, the heartbeat of his church, the heartbeat of Maple Grove is people changing their hearts and lives for the better, for the best. Paul put it this way. Paul said this, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is what? He's a new creation. The old, it's gone. And the new, it's on, right? It's on. Like Donkey Kong, right? It's on. <laughs> All right. Sorry. And, and in Ephesians 2, chapter 10, I thought I was excited. And Paul puts it this way. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The heartbeat of the gospel is about change. Paul, in Galatians 5, he says, yeah, it, uh, the Harpy, the gospel. Gospel is about changing the kind of fruit that we display to the world. He says, hey, here's our old fruit. Lust, rage, jealousy, envy, dissension, quarreling. So that, that's your old fruit. He says, Here, here's your changed fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Colossians 3 says, you know what? It, uh, the gospel, this life change thing is like ch changing your clothes, putting on new clothes. He says, hey, here's your old clothes. Malice, slander, anger, lies. He says, here's your new clothes. Compassion, kindness, humility. You know, something about clothes I, I didn't always know, and I, my wife taught me. I always think, you think cheaper to better. What's the difference, right? A $10 shirt and a, 
you know, if you put something on that's worth something, it feels different, don't it? It's like, really, this feels, this, I was made for this day, you know? And, 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 and here's the deal, you know, when we put on the right clothes or new clothes, we're going, you know what, this, this patience and peace, it, it feels a whole lot better than bitterness and rage. And this compassion and love, it, it beats slander. And, and, you know, I, I think I was made. And you, we were, weren't we? Because we're made in the image of God. Maybe Grove Jesus saved us to change us, to change our hearts and lives. And throughout the New Testament, that's what we see happening, right? People encounter Jesus and they're different. Apostle John, before Jesus, he was known for his violent and angry temper. He was a son of, son of thunder. After we know him, dude, can you, John, do you have another sermon topic besides love? Dude. You know, and, and we got Zacchaeus before Christ, a lonely, unhappy tax collector, hoarded his wealth, ripped people off. After Jesus, a happy man who repaid back four times what he owed and gave half his money to the poor. The Apostle Paul before Christ, a guy, a guy who tried to keep rules to earn his salvation, who tried to destroy the church. After Christ, no one spoke better about grace and no one worked harder to build the church than Paul. Then you have the woman and, 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 and John 8 who was caught in adultery and went out and sinned no more. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. A people whose lives are changed because of Jesus. Last night at Before the Throne, you know, uh, we had this time where uh, you see on the front I, wall, I, I, I have these things to say, I once was, but now I'm. And what people did here, you know, we broke out during the prayer time and people wrote on the wall saying, here's how God has changed me. I mean, some of your own members wrote this, people in this room, you know, I once was damaged, but now I'm repaired. I, I, I once was afraid, but now I'm courageous. I saw at least two people, right? I, I once was suicidal, but now I live for Jesus and have hope. I, I, I once was broken. Yeah, that's what he does. I, I, I once was broken, but now I'm whole. I once was very pessimistic, but now I'm optimistic. And I want you to know, those are staying up there. And, you know, and I hope to have to put more up there. You know, and it, you're not praising anybody else but God. You're declaring, this is what he can do. This is what he's about. He changes things. He makes things different. Check out how God, how God has changed. Uh, a couple of people recently began attending Maple Grove. Hi, my name is Bob Vitrikas. And I'm Chris Patricus. And uh, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and Maple Grove have really changed our lives. And in the last seven months, we've gone from, I'm embarrassed to say, not attending church for a year uh, to uh, regular attendees at Maple Grove and life groups and just really enjoying it. And yeah, changed our lives. It really has. Um, I was just sort of what you'd call a robot Christian. I went to church regularly at, at one time, but I was just like checking a box. I was checking my watch every time, <laughs> checking to see when the service would be over with so I could go out to lunch, unfortunately. So when I came to Maple Grove and met Steve Malone and listened to him uh, uh, talk to us about Christ and how he can change our lives, I really, really liked the message I was hearing. And... Uh... One of the things that, that uh, resonated with us is the homework assignments that Steve hands out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't know if it's because the way I was brought up or what, but when somebody gives me a homework assignment, I feel compelled to do it. Mm -hmm. So first time he did, I'm, believe it or not, I had to remember where I put the Bible in my house. 
because I hadn't read it in that long. So I found it, and uh, we've read it and studied it like never before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've read the Bible, but I've never studied the Bible, and we've really gotten into it. We in have. A number yeah. of different groups, and it's just absolutely wonderful. So It's just changed our lives so much in the last, how many months? Eight, nine months that we've been going yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, we feel closer to Christ than ever. We enjoy every activity we do with the church. Can't wait to get here on Sunday. Mm -hmm. we're We've adapted our lives, really. Yeah. Um, where before, we put other things before church, before Christ, and now it's the other way around, isn't That's it? That's right. Our priority mm -hmm. is coming to Maple Grove, and our priority is getting closer to Christ. And uh, it's, it's worked for us. I hope, I hope other people will feel the same way. The, the most special part of it for us was to be baptized on the 22nd of December mm -hmm. here at Maple Grove. We'd gone through the membership to the church, and we were a bit surprised, I think, that we had the full immersion mm -hmm. was a requirement. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd both been baptized before, but uh, so we studied about that. We talked with, with Pastor Malone. Um, we did our homework assignment, yeah. two parts, yeah. as a hard taskmaster, but we, uh, we learned a lot, and uh, we were absolutely convinced that that was the right way to, to go, and so we were, um, we prayed about it, and we talked about it, and we decided to, to go forward, and uh, truly one of the greatest moments of our lives, yeah. life-changing. One of the uh, best days of my life, yeah, and yours. Me too, yeah, yeah exactly. So. We couldn't be happier at Maple Grove. Our faith life has been supercharged and uh, through the Holy Spirit working in us and through the people around in, in Maple Grove, too. Mm -hmm. We can really feel a special energy here. Yeah. Amen. 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 It, that's what we're about. Fallen Christ and life-changing community. Uh, let me make... Uh, three quick or what relatively quick things, um, relatively quick for me, uh, about our vision statement, then we'll be done. Uh, first, we are expecting life change. And, and I got to admit, when I, I first began working on this, I didn't write it that way. I wrote it this way. I wrote, we should expect life change. And you see the difference between the two? Yeah. You see, the should kind of gives me what? It gives me an out, Right? And I wrote it that way initially because, to be honest, um, I don't always expect to see life change in myself or in other people. Yeah, but that's, I said, uh-uh, uh-uh. So I said, no, we are expecting life change. Uh, in his book, The Life You Always Wanted, John Ortberg talks about a church member by the name of Hank uh, at a church he pastored. And it's an alias, apparently, but I've met some of Hank's relatives before. Maybe you have as well. And he concludes talking about Hank with these words here. Hank was not changing. He was once a cranky young guy, and he grew up to be a cranky old man. But even more troubling than his lack of change was the fact that nobody was surprised by it. It was just everybody simply expected that his soul would remain withered and sour year after year, decade after decade. No one seemed bothered by the condition. It was not an anomaly that caused head scratch and bewilderment in the church. No church consultants were called in. No emergency meetings were held to probe the strange case of this person who followed the church's general guidelines for spiritual life and yet was not transformed. The church staff did have some expectations. We expected that Hank would affirm certain religious beliefs. We expected that he would attend services, read the Bible, support the church financially, pray regularly, and avoid certain sins. But here's what we didn't expect. 
We didn't expect that he would progressively become the way Jesus would be if he were in Hank's place. We didn't assume that each year we would find him more compassionate, more joyful, more gracious, a more winsome personality. We didn't anticipate that he was on the way to becoming a source of delight and courtesy who overflowed with rivers of living water. So we were not shocked when it didn't happen. In fact, we would have been surprised if it did. Question, are we ever like that? I mean, do we expect people to change or do we expect them to kind of stay the same? You know, sometimes I I think that when it comes to change in ourselves and other people, we're kind of like that sailor man named Popeye, right? You know, you know I, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. And I made one up. You know, I don't know if this is even grammatically correct, but that never stopped me. You know, or they are's what they are's, and that's all that they are's. Yeah, yeah I, I know they're bitter and hold grudges and get mad and don't talk to you, but that's just the way they are. Yeah, they've been a Christian for, but that they are's what they are's, and that's all that they are's. But listen. If you find yourself this morning feeling a little bit like Popeye, feeling kind of stuck in regards to life change for you or someone else, I have great news for you. Jesus can unstuck you. He can. He can unstuck you. He can unstuck you. Never, never, never forget that the core, the heart, the power, the message of the gospel is that change, real change, authentic transformation is not only possible, but that it is God's plan for your life and for mine. Life change is why Jesus did what he did. Life change is why the Father sent to us the thing he sent to live inside of us, the Holy Spirit. It's the whole design of the system. Paul put it this way. The change Paul said this, God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like who? Not like Hank, but like who? Like his son, like Jesus. So, so, so what is our passion? What is our vision? What do we say if someone says, hey, hey, so what's your church about? Really, we can sum it up in just two words, right? Life change. Or I don't know if it's one word or two, actually. I Googled this all weekend, like, Okay, so hyphenate, when is a hyphenate word? One or two? And then it's like, okay, I don't care. <laughs> right, a bunch of stuff said, it doesn't matter. It'd be one or two, but life change is what we're about. I understand we're not about money. We're not about buildings. We're, we're, we're not about being bigger and better than the church down the block. We're about changed lives. Why? Because God is about changed lives. Chick-fil-A is about chicken, Barnes and Nobles are about books, and Maple Grove and God's church is about life change because God is in the business of changing lives for the better, for the best. That's what we're about, about life change. Next, life change happens when we are following Christ. In fact, it's impossible to follow Christ and not be changed. I think it's how the system works. It's that connection thing, right? It's that John 15, 5 thing where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce what? Much fruit. What what do you mean fruit? Well, I I, I think at least a part of it could be love, joy, peace, and patience, right? He says, hey, if you're connected to me, you're going to, you know, anger is not going to dominate your life. Peace and patience is going to dominate your life. 
And here's a statement. If we are not experiencing life change, then the obvious and uncomfortable conclusion is that we are not following Christ. That is kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? But like it is kind of obvious. Last night before the throne, I, I made a statement I'd never made before. We're talking in there, talking about celebrating God's presence, how there's no place we'd rather be. And I make this statement that if being in God's presence doesn't make us different, then we haven't been in God's presence. We just haven't, right? We haven't. That's who God is. That's what God does. That's what God is about. That's how the system works. You see, life change is pretty much automatic if we're following Christ. Now, we're all going to change at different paces, right? But life change is automatic if we're following Christ. But unfortunately, following Christ is not automatic. And I'm here to tell you that if, if, if you know, the majority of you following Christ is, what, is showing up here for an hour. Oh, I know I'm longer than an hour, right? Okay. <laughs> showing up for a few, an hour plus on a Sunday morning. That's it. Then it ain't working. You're not following Christ. You know, I, and here, here, here's all I know. See, coming in here, this building does not make you a Christian, does not make you a Jesus follower. Here, here's your test. Go home, go in your garage, sit in your garage, and see how long it takes for you to be a car, all right? <laughs> okay? That's how long being in a building will make you a Christian, right? It just doesn't. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to say, guys, if it's not working here, maybe why it's not working. Well, how do we follow Christ? You know, we got to check out this, what Peter said. As we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. Follow Jesus, we know him better. We like read his word. We hang out with him. We hang out with people who are hanging out with him. Hey, you seem to want to follow Jesus. Can I like hang out with you? Yesterday morning I met, at 9 a.m., I met with 12 guys who say, let's hang out for a while, you know, for a couple months and meet at 5.45 a.m. every Tuesday for 21 months and talk about hanging out with Jesus. It was so encouraging to everyone that was in that room. You follow Jesus. You hang out with him. Hey, if you haven't done that grab thing, you know, go, risk, adapt, and believe. You know, there's some sheets back there. Listen to the message if you missed, if you missed it. That's another way to follow him and to move forward. We are expecting life change. Life change happens... Uh, uh, when we follow Christ, the last statement is life change happens best in community. I- I'm going to read a, a scripture and a quote, and this will be fairly quick. Uh, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Have you ever fallen emotionally and like there was nobody there? And it's like, I. I and you're like the lady from the famous commercial, right? I'm falling. And it's one thing to fall physically. That's bad enough. But to fall emotionally, be devastated and alone and hopeless, and you're just laying there, and there's nobody to help you up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And because we believe that's true, and because we believe that life change happens best in the context of community, three years ago this month, we began our life groups. You know, uh, there's a life group link this coming Saturday where you can find out something about this, where, hey, how can I do life with somebody? You know, it's hard to do life by yourself. Well, you can't do it well by yourself. And here's this quote from Larry Crabb, a Christian author, and a lot of his books literally have came at the right time and changed my life, helped me. 
He says, I have strong reasons to suspect that Christians sitting dutifully in church congregations for whom going to church means doing a variety of spiritual activities have been given resources that if released could powerfully heal broken hearts, overcome the damage done by abusive backgrounds, encourage the depressed to courageously move forward, stimulate the lonely to reach out, revitalize discouraged teens and children with new and holy energy, and introduce hope into the lives of countless people who feel rejected, alone, and useless. Maybe going to church more than anything else means relating to several people in your life differently. Maybe the center of Christian community is connecting with the few. There is power within the life of every Christian waiting to be released. A power that could lead to further and deeper change. A power within us that could help someone else connect more intimately to the heart of Christ. We haven't dreamed big enough dreams of what we could mean to another person. Maybe it is time. We are expecting life change. Life change happens when we follow Christ. And life change happens in the context of community. So, so here's my question as we, we launch this series. You know, does anybody out there want to be part of something that changes the lives of people for the better? Anybody want to be part of something like that? Yeah. Anybody want to be part of something that changes marriages, that, that changes homes, that, that changes families, that changes people, where people who don't, where people that go to this church right now, if they wrote one time, they were suicidal. And they wanted to give up. And somewhere along, like somebody talked to them and introduced them to Jesus, and they go, I don't want to kill myself. I want to live for Jesus. You want to be a part of something like that? When when we change lives, we change homes, we change churches, we we change our schools, we we change our communities, we we change our world. And, And there's a question in your notes. Do you want to be part of something that changes lives for the better? I answered it for you. <laughs> Circle. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Or you wouldn't be here. Following Christ and life-changing community. Not just on the back of our bulletin. Not just on our website. And though you'll see it in different places, It'll be more than something on our walls. It'll be the heartbeat of our lives. Knowing that God has placed within us his spirit to change us and enable us to change and pour life into other people one life at a time. Where we are, where we live, where you work, where you go to school. God has placed you in places already. He's placed me in places already to be his change agents in this dark and broken world. See why I love the church? Nothing like it. Nothing like it anywhere. And we're going to Nothing like it. I want to be a part of that. I want to live that way. The world needs us at our best. They have waited long enough. And we're going we're gonna to sing a song, and, and I love it. It's called Overwhelmed by God and what he's done.
And I do want you guys to know I'm keeping, you know, th- there are some markers on the ground. You don't have to do this. I'm going to keep these up for a while. Just a, and, and I think there's some power in doing that. It was cool last night to see people line up to do that and say, I once was this. You know? Or maybe in faith you're going to write something today. You know, you know, maybe today you came in here fearful. You came in here discouraged. You say, in faith, I'm going to say, you know what? I, I was this, but in faith, in Jesus, I know I'm this right now, and I'm going to walk in that right now. Maybe you're here today, you need to talk about making a decision that, you know, that Bob and Chris did to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, we didn't know, but, wow, we, we, should, we need to be immersed into Christ, and why not do what Jesus said? And I, I love that humble spirit, that teachable spirit, man, that says, I'm just going to do it, you know, and they did it. And, and uh, maybe you need to talk about that. Maybe you want leaders to pray for you, but, but uh, let's sing the song about being overwhelmed by our God. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you. And God, we truly are overwhelmed by you. And God, I, I thank you for your church. God, I, I thank you for all the people I've known in your church, you know, for the last 24, 34 years who've loved me and encouraged me and prayed for me and played together and laughed together and served together and worked together and dreamed together. For all the people throughout my life, God, in your church who picked me up, God, when I had nothing, who filled me up when I was dry, who believed in me when I stopped believing in myself, who encouraged me to do things I was afraid to do. No wonder you died for something so beautiful. And God, I pray that as we sing right now, we're just overwhelmed by you and overwhelmed by your church and overwhelmed that we get to be about life change. And you've given us the power to make that possible. In Jesus' name, amen.